Up next on the Safety Matters podcast from Reliance Partners, we will be discussing the latest red flags and what preventative actions companies can take to combat cargo theft. Here's a preview featuring Scott Cornell from Travelers Insurance. Street theft is really still dictating the majority of where the cargo thefts are happening, and that remains the normal hotspots. Southern California, it's Texas, it's Florida, it's Georgia, it's Memphis, it's Illinois, New Jersey. Those remain the number one spots. What do they all have in common? Well, most of them are port areas. They also have high population density. They all have very strong economic situations. Those areas continue to be the hotspots, but we are continuing to see that spread. So one of the heat maps that I use when I teach classes on this shows the spread that's spreading into the interior. So places like Oklahoma, Iowa, Wyoming, they are seeing thefts and we're seeing thefts reported in those areas. So remember the high concentration areas and the most common places, but understand that it is spreading everywhere at this point as well. Welcome back to Safety Matters, the podcast series from Reliance Partners. Hello, everyone. I'm Tom Albrecht, the Chief Financial Officer and Chief Revenue Officer at Reliance Partners. I am your host for today's podcast, which is serving as a companion to the Safety Matters webinar series from Reliance. As you heard in our opening, we're diving into all things related to cargo theft. Today, we will be sharing tips about identifying red flags, and we will discuss strategies to prevent cargo theft. Once again, we will be hearing from Chad Eichelberger, the president of Reliance Partners, and Scott Cornell from Travelers Insurance. Both have spent years in the cargo world and have seen nearly every theft and double brokering scheme imaginable. They will share insights about current trends and talk about how to stay ahead of the thieves. Now, as we take you back to our conversation that was also a part of our Safety Matters webinar series, I began talking with Chad about red flags. Obviously, there's going to be times where a different motor carrier or driver needs to be assigned to a load after an earlier notification. There may be a roadside breakdown, the driver quit, weather issues, any number of things. However, this is where kind of all eyes being alert comes into play. When a dispatch service does that without informing the broker, should that be viewed as a red flag? It would seem to me that if they're going to really be a true partnership, they'd want to say, hey, listen, here's what happened. We may have an alternative carrier for you. Are we okay to move ahead as opposed to just doing it? And then all of a sudden you're in a vulnerable spot. Chad, what do you think about that? I think at the end of the day, you have to treat every carrier relationship as a freight broker as its own unique relationship. And if a dispatch service Maybe that's a legitimate thing. I find it, especially in this environment, very happenstance suddenly that one truck has fallen off, another is able to take it. Typically when that happens, they're not even informing you. So I would be very suspicious of anything like that, particularly when it occurs at the last minute, somebody calls and cancels a shipment. Hey, but I've got another truck with this different carrier available. I would view that with a lot of suspicion. I think just generally speaking, every carrier's merits has got to stand on its own. And really the way you combat this is repeat business with the same carriers, reputable carriers, where you have a relationship that have been in business, that have been verified. There are so many good motor carriers out there to take a risk with somebody new. They've really got to be vetted and you've got to walk into that relationship. There should be some type of probationary period 
you know, Reliance, we insure many new entrants to the market, but at the same time, those carriers, we want to see them succeed. But sometimes that's part of the process of learning to run the trucking company and building your reputation up with your freight broker partners. So Chad, there's kind of two aspects to new. There's new to your organization and then there's new to the marketplace. So I think it's important for that to be kept in mind there. Because if a freight broker is going to grow over time, they need to be consistently adding capacity, motor carriers, but you never know what's behind each of them. So I think just that mindset again, who you're dealing with, maybe you start with some lower value added loads, maybe they're a little bit more local in nature as opposed to cross country. There's some common sense steps that your organization can take while you're testing that carrier's reliability and authenticity. Let me just kind of throw this out here. Do brokers give out pickup numbers too quick in the process? Because that can be an issue if you know the pickup number. Just any thoughts around that? From my perspective, it's always been, one, as a freight broker, you have to be very careful now with both from a liability perspective as it relates to freight broker auto liability being brought into these lawsuits, whether you exercise some type of control of the motor carrier. We've always kind of advised against you don't want to do that. It happens in a lot of brokerages where that still happens. Somebody calls in, they give them the information. And oftentimes too, we've even seen scenarios where they've called in, they've got the pickup number for the load. I'm the driver calling for the pickup number. I was operating here to here. And sometimes it can be as simple as they see a load posting, they see a name and they've had success there before and they can call and get the pickup number even. Again, it's not our business. We sell transportation insurance, but acting as a dispatcher, giving out information over the phone, it's somewhat inviting problems. Well, if you wait to give the pickup number until the driver arrives at the location, then it gives you a chance to validate the MC number, the DOT number on site, as opposed to he or she's already got the pickup number. They can kind of get in and get out. Nobody notices them. Scott Cornell of Travelers Insurance, anything you want to add to that? A couple of things. If I go back just a little bit to the dispatch services and everything like that, at all levels, you need to know exactly who you're doing business with. You need to know if somebody is a dispatch service or if they are the carrier that's going to be hauling the freight for you. And if they are a dispatch service and you're okay with that, then you need to know that they are an extension of your process, your process about vetting carriers. You have to set that up so that the process doesn't end with you vetting that dispatch service The process continues with that dispatch service vetting anybody who's going to carry your load, if that's the way you choose to do business. Now, when it comes to the pickup number or the information like that, I think in the current environment, you should control all vital information related to the load as long and as much as you can so that you can work in a partnership with your shippers at the point of pickup to verify who's picking up the load and be confident who's picking up the load. If you give out the load number, then you change the carrier. Now you're in a scramble with your shipping partner to change the carrier information, make sure that gets trickled down to the exact point of pickup, that the person that's standing at the dock is not looking at the first one you gave out, but now looking at the second one that you corrected it to, it creates confusion. And when things are moving as fast and as high volume as they do in the transportation industry, the last thing you want is confusion and mistakes. I think you have to be very methodical and you have to have a good process in place. When we work with our clients to teach them methods on how to prevent these types of thefts, the thing we concentrate on the most is the process and the procedures section of what we say it's a three-layered approach. And that first foundational portion of it is good process and procedures because everything after that will work or not work based on what those process and procedures are at the foundation of the whole system. 
Chad, I know you've got a thought. I want to just throw out a couple other examples. I talked to a carrier the other day in preparation for this, and this kind of goes back on ways to detect fraud. Notice that they pause a lot on basic questions. For example, if you ask them, what kind of tractor or trailer do you have? They should be able to tell you it's a Freightliner, it's a Peterbilt, I'm driving a Wabash trailer. Is it a box truck? If they pause, if they really act undecided, that should be an immediate red flag. They're very rushed. I got to have this information right now. I got to get the load information. Rates don't matter, whatever. Again, it's human behavior you're looking for. It's not always going to be on a checklist of things, but suspicious behavior, if they laugh funny, if you consistently deal with people with two first names for their first and last name, again, raise your level of awareness. But Chad, I know the environment and cargo theft, they kind of go hand in hand. What are some of your observations there? I think what we've seen over time is oftentimes when you see a theft occur, and I think now, and Scott really, he'll have a lot of thoughts on this, but what we've seen in the past have generally been these cross-country runs that are high value. Now they're something that can easily be disposed of that's a commodity. I can remember a few years ago, loads of nuts coming out of California. That was one of the most targeted commodities in the country. Now it seems like that list of targeted commodities has expanded dramatically and every commodity can be targeted. But the cross-country run still seems to be a lot of these longer length of hauls where there's a longer transit time. There's more time before the broker knows the load has been stolen. There's more time to cross-stock the loads. That still seems to be a lot of the cargo theft instances that we have reported to us, but we're also seeing more of these that are quick one-day turns. I know of one instance where a large number of loads were stolen. They were double brokered. They actually faked the delivery of the loads. They sent in the bill of lading to the freight broker. The freight broker actually charged the shipper for the loads didn't know they were stolen. The shipper actually paid them. And then six months later, they came back and found out, oh, these loads, not only were they not delivered, we charged our customer for it. We were paid for it. We paid the carrier that just stole the loads for them. Not only that, now at an inventory audit, they've discovered that these weren't. So, but we're seeing this stuff happen all over. And I always joy hearing from Scott on kind of areas of the country. And I know a lot of the usual suspects. Scott, so as we think about the next three or four months, what are the hot spots to Chad's point? And what are some of the commodities? And then we'll kind of break that question down a little bit more as we get past winter as well. What should people be on guard for? Sure, a lot to talk about on this one. So let's start with location. So we talked about the fact that the increases in strategic theft have kind of spread cargo theft out, but straight theft still remains the number one type of theft. It's just that strategic theft has seen the largest increases. So straight theft is really still dictating the majority of where the cargo thefts are happening, and that remains the normal hotspots. Southern California, it's Texas, it's Florida, it's Georgia, it's Memphis, it's Illinois, New Jersey, those remain the number one spots. What do they all have in common? Well, most of them are port areas. They also have high population density. They all have very strong economic situations. So they kind of have the perfect storm. They have all the facilities where the goods are kept and distributed out of. They have the trucking company concentrations. They have the population. They have all that. Illinois and Memphis are going to be inland ports because of the rail. Memphis in particular has all the arterial highways that connect there, so it's a little bit of a scenario where everybody's coming in from everywhere and the freight's sitting at all the truck stops in that area. So there's various reasons that go behind that. 
those areas continue to be the hotspots, but we are continuing to see that spread. So one of the heat maps that I use when I teach classes on this shows the spread that's spreading into the interior. So places like Oklahoma, Iowa, Wyoming, they are seeing thefts and we're seeing thefts reported in those areas. So remember the high concentration areas and the most common places, but understand that it is spreading everywhere at this point as well. When you talk about the commodities, the commodities are very cyclical. This is where you talked earlier about what are some of the impacts on cargo theft. And I said the economy will sometimes have more of an impact on what's stolen rather than how much is stolen. Right now, food and beverage is the number one stolen commodity. If we go just a little bit historic on it, coming into 2008, electronics was number one. Everybody was spending money on luxury items. We have an economic downturn. By 2010, food and beverage becomes the number one stolen commodity. And it stays the number one stolen commodity until 2019. Now, we know in 2010, they went to that commodity for the economic situation. But we also realized that they quickly learned, hey, this is a great commodity. Chad mentioned nuts in 2015, 2016. We saw massive spikes in nut thefts. Well, there's no barcode on a pistachio. You don't activate the warranty for almonds on the Internet. So we can't ping your location when you steal the almonds. It's very untraceable. From a cargo theft investigation standpoint, I can chase a load of stolen televisions for a year. I have a week window on food-related items that are perishable. So they switch that food and beverage commodity. They love it. Then you have to think about the subcategories in there. We'll get into that in a second. So 2020, the pandemic hits, and we see household goods become number one. Number one rule for cargo thieves is I'm going to steal what I know I can sell. Household goods becomes number one in 2020. Why? Because we were all at home. We're all modifying our homes, we were remodeling, we were working from home, we were creating home gyms, we were just trying to make it a more pleasant place to be 24-7 because that's where we work. 2021, it becomes electronics again. Why? Because there was a shortage on chips that we heard about. So they take advantage of that. They knew that children were educating from home, people were working from home, we needed laptops, we needed tablets, you name it. So they moved to that. 2022, about halfway through the year, electronics drops off, food and beverage comes back in, household goods, it's a bit of a mix. 2022 is a really tight year for those top three categories. Here we are in 2023 and it's food and beverage again. And what I always say is when things normalize even a little bit, even though we're seeing struggles in the transportation industry and everything, when things normalize even a little bit, that food and beverage commodity will float to the top. It will be number one. Now, when you talk about seasonality of it, Let's talk about the subcategories. Every year, there's a couple of subcategories that really pop. 2015, 2016, it was the nuts. They really popped. It went crazy. Right now, it's solar panels in that electronics commodity. Solar panels are really popping, and they're being targeted heavily in Southern California. In the food and beverage category, it's energy drinks and alcohol. In the third quarter CargoNet report that I saw, energy drinks and alcohol in detail were one theft off of one another. So they were right there as the two leading commodities in the food and beverage category. So you're going to see these subcategories within those bigger categories pop. They're going to target the same things we are because they know that's what everybody wants. Kind of using that, Scott, as a launching point, the slowness of January, February, maybe food and beverage remain top. But as we start to think about warmer weather, March and beyond, should we expect maybe outdoor patio furniture, Sporting goods, things like that, also to be areas that the thieves would target? We see some of those things. We don't see big fluctuations in those areas. We will see things like tractors or loads of motorcycles targeted at certain times of the year, off-road vehicles, whatever you want to label them as. I've seen some of those stolen across the industry. So they will make some shifts on that. I think it's more so the larger demand stuff. They look for what's the most popular category overall rather than some of those what I would call micro categories. 
Another red flag, so to speak, would be if you're speaking to someone and they're reluctant to provide any information about the driver, if they're hostile to doing that or they completely have no idea about it, again, your radar should be up for that. They should be able to talk to you about the driver. Chad, in your career here, have you seen any new wrinkles as you work with so many of our customers on claims this year? Any favorite war story or two that represents a good lesson? I think there are so many. We could sit and talk about these. Scott and I actually talked about these. We saw each other a couple of weeks ago and he could have sat down and just gone back and forth on everything. But you're seeing the fraud that's being perpetrated. It could be through load boards, but not necessarily load boards. I feel like oftentimes the load boards, maybe they provide a channel for it, but they're not the only reason that it's happening. But I would say too, locking down your access to your email address, having multi-factor authentication. We see a lot of that as an insurance agency are targeted, just like all insurance providers are and transportation providers more and more. I think what we're seeing now is that maybe somebody is compromised on their email password at home and the thief, the person who perpetrates that realizes, oh, they have a company address and suddenly they can get access to that or somebody gets your email password at work and it's the same as what it is on the load board. Now, I know MFA is something that's becoming more commonplace. So I would encourage everybody on that front to have multi-factor authentication because any way, shape, or form, somebody gains access to this, they get access to your email, and suddenly they have access to maybe a load board, or maybe they have access to go on and commit fraud that way. The other thing that's been interesting is we're hearing more instances where now we're seeing pretend customers pop up that are calling into freight brokers and wanting to have freight moved. They're illegitimate customers, but they're pretending to be somebody else. And there's a twist on that and how they can monetize that. So you think of it, it feels like it's happening. We're seeing all different types of fraud. I feel like there's been more new schemes that have emerged in the last six months than happened in the last six years. I think two things that are really worth talking about, Tom. One is trust your gut. We're talking about red flags and Chad's talking about all the different things you see. And one of the things we mentioned earlier is that these things change and they kind of bob and weave as we make changes to try and prevent this stuff. You really have to trust your gut. Something that we tell our clients is don't just train your head of risk or your head of security, depending on what role you have or position you have at the company, but train those people on the front line, the people that are assigning the loads raise their awareness of what goes on. Teach them the red flags. Make sure you're constantly updating their knowledge and keeping it up to date with the industry knowledge. Let's say Chad and I are working together and we're assigning loads for a company and Chad figures something out. He sniffs something out and everybody agrees, yeah, don't assign that load. That's a theft. You need to take what Chad saw and use that to educate the entire team. Quick stand-up meeting, 10 minutes, Chad figured this out because he saw this, 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 and this. Share that knowledge and share it instantaneously. The second thing that I would mention that I can't stress enough is you have to have a plan. If you experience a theft, you have to have a plan, and you need to pressure test that plan. One of the things we talk about very often is, who is going to pick up the phone for you at 2 o'clock in the morning on a Friday? and immediately begin to work for you to help recover the theft if you've had a theft. For our clients, we certainly have that service. We have our team. Chad and I talk about this quite often. Who are you going to call and are they going to pick up the phone? And do you have a secondary number to call and a third number to call? Certainly you always call law enforcement first if you're the victim of a theft. But after that, who are you calling? And then even if you call law enforcement or you call somebody who you know will pick up the phone, Do you have all the right information that's going to enable that person, law enforcement or private resource, 
to actually begin working a case to try and recover a load. An example, every once in a while you get a call, it's two o'clock in the morning, we talk about a straight depth, the driver came out of the truck stop and everything was gone. Okay, well, what was the tractor number? I don't have it, I'm the night dispatcher, I don't have that. Okay, does the driver remember the number? No, he doesn't remember the number. What's the trailer number? With somebody else's trailer, we hooked to it. Okay, what's on the bill of lading? What was in the tractor? Here I am at two o'clock in the morning and I know you've had a theft and that's all I know. That's all I know. And I'm extremely limited on what I can do for you. So do you have all that information available? Do you know who you were talking to or think you know? Do you have phone numbers? Any information that's related to that, is the person that's working for you at two o'clock in the morning going to be able to relay that information to the resource that you're going to reach out to? And you should run tests on that. You should come into work one day and say, hey, Chad, we just had a $250,000 load stolen. What are you going to do? And Chad should be able to tell you, well, I'm going to do this. Tom's going to do this. Scott's going to do this. And everybody should know their roles. It's the same as running a play for a football team. Every position that goes on the field to run that play knows their route, knows exactly what their assignment is, and they go out and they execute it. They don't turn to each other and say, hey, do you want to run this route and then I'll run that route and -and so-and-so will get the handoff or do you want so-and-so to take the turn getting the handoff? That's not how it works. You go out, you execute the play, and it's the same as your response. Your response has to be something that you can execute instantaneously and turn on a dime. Also, Scott, a few minutes ago, you said trust your gut. I would also say train your gut. Someone wants to know if a theft attempt is in progress, is there anything that we can do once you realize it's in progress? I would say notify your insurance company. And that was something I was going to add through all this. Scott, and we share a lot of customers The number one thing for your insurance company to be successful in recovering and mitigating your loss, they have to know about it. If you call them a month later, it's not going to do any good. Scott, I mean, you see it every day. The notification you get early, I'm sure there's a much greater correlation recovery. Yeah, I mean, quick notification. So the industry standard, what's largely talked about in the industry is after the first 24 to 48 hours, your chances at recovery drop by at least 50% or right around 50%. That's a huge drop off. So if your insurance company has the resources to help you with the recovery, then you obviously need to report it to them right away. And whether it's helping you to recover the load or mitigating the loss or whatever it is through the process of handling the claim, the quicker you notify them, the more efficient and effective they're going to be for you. The same thing goes for law enforcement, notifying them right away. So to the attendee's question, if you know a theft is in process, I guess my question back would be, You haven't given them the load yet and you know it's in process or you've given them the load and you know it's in process. Those are two different scenarios. If you haven't given them the load, you know it's in process. Depending on where you live, if you're in Southern California, there are task forces in Southern California that are working on those organized crime rings. So you can contact them and see if they can tie it into a ring or it rings a bell to them as a ring that they're investigating. It depends on what part of the country you're in. It's never going to hurt to call the police and let them know that you think this is going on actively. If the load's already been stolen, but you're still in contact with them, all the same notifications apply. Law enforcement, your insurance company, any resources you're going to use, whether it's a private investigator or if you're a client of ours and we have our investigative team, all those parties should know and know instantaneously. This comes in from a carrier. If I need to use another carrier's truck to complete my loads because my truck is down for repairs, what paperwork is needed to use the carrier's truck? Would I need to put the truck under my insurance for the short time, a few days to a couple of weeks? Do I need to put my company name and DOT numbers on the loaner truck? Either one of you guys. 
You need to reach out to your insurance agent. I mean, that truck is not covered. It hasn't been inspected. You really want to go through the proper channels with that because you have that inspected. There's a lot of issues there. Maybe what we can do, I'm not sure who sent this question, but we are happy to talk on that. But that's probably a little bit more longer and complicated answer than what we want to go through during this conversation. But yeah, absolutely. That's something you've got to take under consideration how that's going to look in the long term and are you insured, are you not insured? And I think there's a lot of answers and a lot of it depends on the type of policy you purchase, type of coverage you have and the owner of the truck, frankly. Chad's contact information is on the reliancepartners.com website. Scott, someone's asking for your contact information and we still have one more question to cover, but while we're here, you want to give your phone number and email real quick? Yeah, my email is scornell1 at travelers.com. My last name is spelled with two L's, but the email only has one L. So it's scornell with one L, the number one at travelers.com. And I can be reached at 480-585-8983. Say that number one more time. 480-585-8983. This last question, if something is double brokered or if a company isn't going to pay for a load, are there red flags? I think they're asking ahead of time, even though they didn't word that. I'm not sure that there are outside of some of the general guidelines that we've talked about being alert, but maybe I've missed something, Chad or Scott. I think the question maybe is being asked more from a motor carrier standpoint, which again is actually something we haven't talked about probably enough on here. As a motor carrier, what are red flags? One, what's the broker's credit? Two, if it's a reputable broker that you know of that you're set up with, when you're going through a load board and you click on that, is there kind of a different phone number listed there? Maybe a free form message with that phone number. That's a good way to tell that maybe it's a legitimate freight broker, but maybe that login has been compromised and you should question that. I would also say that if you're picking up at a particular shipper and you're told to use a name other than the freight broker that you're working with, that, hey, you're going to say you're picking up for this company or the bill of lading is actually going to say this, but you're going to do this. Or, hey, you get a call in the middle of a shipment and you're being redirected somewhere else. But they're going to pay you very, very well for it. But this is the first time you've dealt with this freight broker. Any of those things should make you skeptical that maybe you are party to this deception and maybe you're going to be taken advantage of and not be paid for the shipment. Maybe you're helping them commit theft. I think the last part was a great point, Chad, is if they tell you, hey, go pick up this load and we'll give you the new delivery location after you pick it up, call us, we'll give you a new delivery location. Or they suddenly call and say, hey, we know we booked you to take this to Texas. We only need you to take it to Phoenix. We're going to pay you the same because it's our fault, but we just need you to take it to this cross dock or this warehouse. Be aware of that as something that has been seen very commonly as a way to get somebody involved in moving the freight where they want it to be moved. And then also, if they give you a location and it's just a dirt lot somewhere, all of a sudden you're not going to a facility or something, you're just going to a dirt lot. Chad talked about those nut thefts earlier. One of the cases that got busted on those nut thefts was a driver who was redirected to a dirt lot and just asked to drop the trailer for another tractor in a dirt lot. He thought it was a little suspicious, so he took a picture of that tractor, and that tractor ended up tied to one of the rings, and he supplied that to the California Highway Patrol, and that ended up being a big lead, right? So you just have to pay attention to those things. That's Scott Cornell from Travelers Insurance with his closing observations on this episode of the Safety Matters podcast. We'd like to thank Scott and Reliance Partners President Chad Eichelberger for sharing their time and perspectives with us on this edition of the podcast. Reliance Partners is here to help. 
In fact, we created this Safety Matters podcast and webinar series to serve as a resource to the trucking and logistics industry. Safety Matters is a platform designed to help our motor carrier friends in their efforts to be safer and to be compliant with all of the various trucking regulations. Before we close out this edition of the Safety Matters podcast, I want to tell you a little bit about Reliance Partners. Reliance is the largest independent insurance agency solely focused on trucking and logistics. Our entire team appreciates the important role that trucking and logistics plays within the American economy, and we are absolutely dedicated to this industry. Folks, let's talk about how to connect with Reliance Partners, because it's very easy. You can follow us on all the socials, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, all at Reliance Partners to stay up to date. Especially keep an eye on LinkedIn for announcements on when our next episodes will be airing. Just search Reliance Partners. Also, don't forget to visit our website at www.reliancepartners.com. There you can explore everything we have to offer from requesting a quote to viewing our comprehensive range of services beyond safety. Once again, thank you for spending part of your day with us on the Safety Matters podcast. Now, we would like to invite you to become a regular listener to the podcast by subscribing to Safety Matters on your podcast platform of choice. You can find the podcast by searching Reliance Partners on all of the major podcast outlets. And by becoming a subscriber to the podcast, you will be notified each time we release a new episode. And you'll also have an opportunity to rate the podcast and to share your feedback with us. And finally, as our podcast title says, safety matters. So on behalf of the entire team at Reliance Partners, let's stay safe out there.